Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Are you hanging in there this morning? Appreciate you hanging out with us. Wondering where you hung out when you were a teenager. Where do teenagers hang out uh, near where you live today? We've got a little uh, public space just off the end of our driveway. And it's, uh, it's a favorite place for teenagers to hang out. Even at hours of the night when, well, <laughs> that's not appreciated. But there you go. Um, who's just uh, hanging around the edges of your life today? Who's hanging around the edges of your church or your community? We use phrases like, I've reached the end of my rope, or I'm just barely hanging on here to describe how it feels to be at the end of our resources and maybe even out of ideas. And so we've also living in the midst of a lot of people who are grasping at the material things of the world as if collecting or even hoarding as much as we can get our hands on um, would satisfy our life, uh, as if the amount of accumulated treasure we have when we die counts for something. And Jesus has something to say about that, which brings us to today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day in Matthew 16, verses 25 and 26. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, Jesus says, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world? but lose your own soul. Is there anything worth more than your soul? So let me ask you, is there anything worth more than your soul today? It's a really profound question. Is there anything worth more than your soul? The person asking that question, Jesus, actually knows the value of a human soul. Jesus has actually like weighed the value of your life. And Jesus says, you know what? This person is worth it. This person is worth leaving the glory of heaven and going and living among men. This person is worth dying for. He's a work of art. This person is my child. What wouldn't you do for your child? What wouldn't you do um, to save them? What wouldn't you give to ransom your child? I mean, Jesus gave it all. Flesh and blood and life and glory The worth of something, the value of something is determined or measured by what we're willing to give up to get it. And Jesus was willing to give it all up. So when Jesus asks the question, is there anything worth more than your soul? Um, He's got the cross in mind. So when we think about um, how we measure the things of this world and the weight of of things in this world. What are we hanging on to? And what would you hang on to in terms of the things of this world or the people of this world? What would you hang on to if it meant losing Jesus? That is the heart desire question of the day. What do we desire? What are we grasping at as if it is our own? Um, When 
in reality, everything is like grass. None of it is, uh, none of it's going to persist beyond this life. None of it, you know, actually like, there were times um, and places, there probably still are times and places where, you know, people are buried with things as if those things are going to be with them in the afterlife. But guess what? The reason we know that those things were buried with them is because we have dug them up. It, you, you can't take it with you. None, none of it goes with you. There's no U-Haul attached to a hearse. I know that's an old joke, but it's also a true truth. Jesus told all kinds of stories about this. The rich man and Lazarus, the parable of the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price. Jesus also demonstrated this in the way that he lived. Did Jesus accumulate a lot of material wealth? No. I mean, at his death, he literally had like one outfit and they cast lots for that. He didn't own his own home. Uh, He didn't uh, have food stored up in barns. He didn't have a 401k, no other financial assets. He didn't even have a house to, you know, for his mom to live in. He he gave his mother to his friend John, to his disciple John, and said, you know, this is this is now your mom, and mom, this is now your son, the guy that's going to take care of you, because I'm giving it up. I'm giving up all of it. Jesus paid his taxes, yes, and we know that his disciples had some money because, well, Judas managed the cash. Judas, when we talk about the the value of Jesus. And misunderstanding the value of his own soul, Judas literally sells Jesus out for seven pieces of silver. Like, I mean, you want you want to talk about putting a material value on the life of Christ? Judas actually did that. When I think of how little Judas was willing to take in exchange for the life of Christ, I'm I'm reminded of that really simple worship song. It's based on Psalm seventy three verses twenty five and twenty six. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing I desire compares with you. My friend, how precious is Jesus to you? What are you hanging on to in this world that's keeping you from fully embracing him? What are the things of this world that are in the way of your relationship with Christ? Jesus asks each one of us today, Hey, you trying to hang on to your life? Don't you see you're going to lose it? I promise you, if you give up your life for my sake, Jesus says, your life is going to be saved. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? I think the game of Monopoly provides a really good lesson here about the games we play with God when it comes to material things. Because no matter how many properties you buy, no matter how how many houses you build, uh, no matter how much rent you collect, if you successfully bankrupt every other player and you win the game, guess what happens? It all goes back in the box. Same is true of you and me. It's all going back in the box. Where's your heart today? That's a question worth hanging on to for a while. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, the Supreme Court of the United States um, issued a couple of decisions yesterday that I think are important for us to know about. Um, but before we dive into um, sort of the the data related to that, let me just ask you, like, where are you on the topic of race? Where are you on that topic? Um, 
This is not a question about whether or not you're colorblind. This is a question about whether or not you actually see the beautiful diversity of God's creation and recognize people for who they are as image bearers of the living God. This is a question about whether or not we recognize we all stand on equal footing at creation as image bearers of God and at the cross as sinners in in need of salvation and in the kingdom of heaven where every tribe and nation will be represented, every people group, every expression of the beauty of humanity and all of its diversity. We are a human race. Where are you on the topic of race? Um, I wrote a book. You may not know that, but uh, I wrote a book. It's called Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back into Every Conversation. And um, as I was reflecting on what to or how to share with you this decision of the Supreme Court related to affirmative action and race-conscious decision-making of colleges and universities in terms of admissions, um, I, the Lord brought this passage that I wrote to mind, and it's about um, Paul and Onesimus. It's about the book of Philemon. And if you have not recently read the book of Philemon, I, I commend it to you, and I commend it to you on the topic of race. Um, while in prison, Paul met Onesimus. Um, Onesimus was a runaway slave. Onesimus's master was Philemon. Philemon was one of Paul's converts to the church in Colossae. So you think about the book of Colossians, that's the city of Colossae. Paul uh, shared the gospel there. Philemon came to faith. Philemon, among other things, was a wealthy slave owner. Onesimus was one of his slaves. Paul met Onesimus in prison. And in prison, Onesimus embraced the gospel. And Onesimus became a believer in Jesus, a follower of Christ, and therefore a brother to Paul and a brother to Onesimus. This is how the gospel changes relationships. So Paul writes a letter to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. Paul, who brought the gospel to Colossae, where Philemon heard the gospel and responded and became a believer, Paul now sends this letter to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus, a runaway slave who has embraced the gospel, having met Paul in prison. Isn't God good? Isn't God great? This is a conversation about race. Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon, but he's not sending him back as a slave. He's sending him back as a brother. Um, And he appeals to Philemon not on the basis of his authority, which he could have done. He doesn't tell Philemon, you have to do this because I, Paul, have authority over you in Christ. Instead, he appeals to him on the basis of what? On the basis of love. The substance of the appeal that we would welcome one another, no longer as slaves, but as beloved brothers and sisters, is based on love. Welcome him as you would welcome me, Paul says. Reread Philemon today. Um, and if you want a copy of Speak the Truth, I mean, if you don't have one yet <clears throat> uh, and you want one, I'd, I'd be happy to send one to you. Um, Paul Perot, can, yes. I, can, I, can I do a book giveaway? Do you care? Um, sure. I mean, if people okay. want to text the word book to 877-933-2484, yeah, we'll get them a book. We'll send you a copy of Speak the Truth. It's it's the book I authored. It's a 
uh, was published in 2017, but it holds up. So um, <laughs> if you want a copy, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, it's worth the price you're going to pay, which is nothing, because I'm going to send them to you. Um, <laughs> you're not doing a so, drawing. This is you You, you text in no, and anybody, get the... Yeah, yeah I got... I, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I want people to have it. Like, I mean, even if all they read, Paul, is this is this section on um, on Philemon. Like, if all you read is verses like or pages uh, 171 to 175, um, I'm, I'm going to be satisfied. So um, because I, I think this is a critical conversation for us to be having today when we talk about uh, talking about affirmative action and we're talking about it, um, in my case, as a white woman. Mm-hmm. Who not only has a college education but a graduate degree? Like this matters. I went to one of these institutions that they're talking about, um, and this is a conversation that matters. And I think that in order to understand the worldview that's presented by those who think there ought to be race conscious um, admissions and those who argue there ought not to be, we as Christians ought to know our argument. We ought to be able to present the gospel truth of this um, about equality. In, in God's image at creation and equality before the cross and equality in the kingdom. And we ought to know what the Bible says um, that makes the appeal from love. So if you want a copy of Speak the Truth, I'd be happy to send you one. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. I will fill you in on the details of the Supreme Court decision in just a moment. But I want you to consider this. Can you make the appeal from love? Can you make the appeal from love, not the appeal from race or rights, or what's going on in the world today. Can you make the appeal from love? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. Okay, it occurs to me that about half the people that listen to this listen uh, later on, and they listen uh, to Mornings with Carmen as a podcast. Um, And so, yes, the offer stands for you as well. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Tell them you want a copy of Speak the Truth by Carmen LaBerge, and uh, I'll be sure you get one. Um, And so thank you for the interest you guys are showing on the text line now. But also, you know, I want to say, if you're listening to this, I don't know, tomorrow and you're saying well tomorrow is today for me i know it's confusing uh whenever you're listening i'd be happy to send you a book text the word book to 877-933-2484 how to speak the truth um of god in the conversations of the day that's what the book is about love to get you a copy um all right and for those of you saying i didn't know carmen had a book you may not know carmen also has a website and lots of other things that she does and talks about so you can check that out at carmenlaberge.com Okay, the Supreme Court issued a couple of rulings yesterday. One of them is uh, this question about whether or not, particularly elite colleges and universities, but it applies now to everybody, um, can use race consciousness in their admissions process. And in a 6-3 decision, the Supreme Court of the United States basically brought an end yesterday to affirmative action. There's really uh, no other way to say that. Um, And the groundwork for this decision on race-conscious college admissions, it it was actually laid over the course of more than a decade. Um, There's been a number of cases, but in particular one from 2007, about how K-12 public schools could use race in terms of integrating uh, schools in their districts. So there's a lot 
um, of, of precedent that the court is relying on, but there's a major precedent that the court basically overturned, um, and that would be affirmative action. And so um, it's a long, long opinion with lots of um, with with lots of personal opinions written by the justices. And that's one of the things I want to quickly address. There's 237 pages of opinions related to yesterday's ruling. Obviously, I have not read them all. What I can tell you is this. Um, it's not it's not the things that the justices are saying that are necessarily new. What is different? The major shift that took place yesterday, in my view, is just how personally the judges or the justices were willing to go after each other. I mean, it is rare that you see Supreme Court justices make a personal argument. They rarely invoke stories from their own lives. They rarely try to bolster their points, um, you know, with a man whom statistic of their own until yesterday. They made assumptions about each other's motives they openly attack one another. Um, they're, they're angry at each other in the opinions that they issue. Um, and I just want to focus on um, the opinions written by the three justices who are people of color, all of whom, by the way, graduated from elite universities and law schools that had race conscious admissions at the time that these three justices attended those schools. So the newest justice, Katani uh, Katanji uh, uh, Brown Jackson, she wrote a stinging dissent accusing the court's majority of, quote, let them eat cake obliviousness. Uh, she said there was this ostrich-like hope that ignoring race would somehow make racial inequality disappear. Um, Justice Clarence Thomas took her on, in his opinion, uh, and he says, as she see th- sees things, we are all inexorably trapped in a fundamentally racist society. He rejects that. Um, He says that Jackson set out to, quote, label all blacks as victims. Quote, it's her desire, um, her desire to do so is unfathomable to me. Now, these are two African-American justices on the Supreme Court talking not only about one another um, or or to one another or, or the arguments made by the other, but about one another. That is really unusual. Um, And where, um, Jackson's dissent focused on the majority opinion. She did address Justice Thomas in a footnote. She says, Justice Thomas's prolonged attack responds to a dissent that I did not write in order to assail an admissions program uh, that does not exist and ignites too many uh, straw men to list or fully extinguish. Justice Sonia Sotomayor, the third um, person of color on the Supreme Court right now, is the one who made the most obvious Uh, data point. um, And she actually describes it that way. Here's the most obvious data point available to the institution today. The three justices of color on this court graduated from elite universities and law schools with race conscious admissions programs and achieved successful legal careers. I guess the question is, would they have done so had those um, race conscious admission programs not been in place? Or are they still necessary today? Here's the point that I want to make. Um, There are things that are going to happen in the culture with which we are going to find reason to argue. Um, What we argue matters. So we are going to argue from a biblical worldview, which is why I'm sending you to study Philemon. Um, And how we argue matters as well. The way we present our arguments. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, um, I think speaks to this. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone 
an apt teacher, patient, correcting opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant that they would repent and come to know the truth. So the goal here, first of all, it's not optional. Gentleness is not optional. It's uh, part of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Um, it's not optional. It's who we are. It's how we live. Um, it's also winsome. And to be winsome means that we might win some. So the goal is always the gospel. The goal is always the gospel. So how could the gospel be advanced? That's really, that's really the question before us. Uh, all right, we're going to have to circle back around to the other Supreme Court decision a little later today. Um, but I will just say this. Uh, the court did make a unanimous ruling in favor of a Christian postal worker um, who the U.S. Postal Service failed to accommodate in terms of his desire to have Sundays off. So that's a positive ruling, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. And yes, there is going to be a farm report today, but just not now. Um, we're going to take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. While we're doing that, why don't you text the word book to 877-933-2484, and I will send you a copy of my book, Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back into Every Conversation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All righty. So do you like working on Sunday? I do not. I uh, appreciate that I have a job that does not require me to work on Sunday and I can take, oh gosh, at least as much of a Sabbath as I allow myself to take. I acknowledge that I do a little work on Sunday evening because, you know, Monday morning is always coming. And I also recognize that uh, other people are required to work on Sunday in order to accommodate my lifestyle. Like, I get that. I totally get that. But I do also remember a day and a time when everything was closed on Sunday or almost everything. Sunday was a day off. It, it was a day off. We took the whole day off. Um, and as a country, as a culture, we took the day off. And so the, the, the post office is closed. The banks are closed. Like, right, things are closed on Sunday. And so if you go to work for one of those places that's closed on Sunday, you might assume you're not going to be required to work on Sunday. Yeah, but the U.S. Postal Service... Uh, got into a contract with Amazon for Sunday deliveries. And in some places, actually, the U.S. Postal Service makes Sunday deliveries, which I don't know, you know, if the post office is closed, you know, if you can't go to the post office and get your work done, and if you can't mail something, then I I don't know, do they need to deliver things? Whatever. Those are not really the decisions the Supreme Court was was testing here. The question was, um, can a person be punished? Gerald Groff, in this case, an evangelical Christian postal worker who refused to work on Sundays for religious reasons. Could he be punished um, for for saying, I don't want to work on Sundays? And the U.S. Postal Service um, failed to accommodate his request to not work on Sundays. And so he sued them. And a lower court uh, said, nope, the Postal Service, you know, has has the right to to, to make you work if that's when they want people to be working. And so um, it went up the, up the ladder and eventually landed in the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court unanimously ruled in favor of Gerald Groff um, and in favor of people who, sin- who sincerely held religious beliefs um, mean that they ask their employers to make particular accommodations for them. And you see these cases arise sometimes in relationship to um, the physical wearing of an of an article of 
uh, of clothing or an adornment that is related to a person's religious belief system. In this case, it was about working on Sunday. It's this person's belief in Sabbath rest. So that's what the case centers around. That would not have seemed an extreme request just a generation ago for somebody to say, I I don't want to work on Sunday. Um, But in an increasingly hostile anti-religious climate, um, it, 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 it was a request that the U.S. Postal Service actually denied. So the Supreme Court said um, that the lower court did not sufficiently consider that the U.S. Postal Service could have certainly uh, made uh, an accommodation in this case, that there were ways for them to accommodate the fact that this one particular individual had a religious conviction to not work on Sunday. So um, that case now returns to the lower courts, and it... um, uh, it seems to me, actually, at the end of the whole thing, that the whole that the whole issue could have been resolved by an application of the golden rule. If 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 everyone involved had just done unto others what they would have in turn desired people do unto them, I mean, if if whoever made the decision not to give Gerald the day off had looked around and said, "Hey, is anybody else willing to swap shifts with Gerald?" I mean, if people had simply done for Gerald, what they would have appreciated others doing for them, like the whole thing would have been resolved. So a simple application of the golden rule is a pretty good answer uh, to most of the questions in the culture today. So maybe we uh, we apply that ourselves. Um, all right, we're going to um, take a uh, take a very, very brief break. And when we come back, our friend Todd Nettleton is going to be with us from Voice of the Martyrs. What is a martyr? Why are people being martyred today? Is that still really happening? We know the story of Stephen. We know the story of the first generation of disciples and how they were persecuted and martyred. Is that still happening today? We're going to talk about that next here on Mornings with Carmen. We have brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world Many of them do not live with the kind of religious freedom that we enjoy here in the United States of America. Um, and we are going to spend a little time talking with our friend Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs about uh, the status of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world and how we can prayerfully support them. So, Todd, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much. It's good to be with you. Tell us um, about um, this brother in Christ, an ethnic Somali um, who became a Christian and, um, and then has now been martyred on behalf of Christ. Well, Abdiwali Ahmed was, as you say, an ethnic Somali. So in his mind and in the mind of most Somalis, uh, to be Somali is to be Muslim. In fact, he he said, I was told that Islam was in my blood. <laughs> there was nothing I could do to get out of it. It was in my blood. Uh, he was actually, as a high school student, the leader of the Islamic society at his school. So he was considered by his fellow students to be the best Muslim uh, among all the student body at that particular school. But he started to have some questions that that he he couldn't find answers to. And he looked in the Quran and he couldn't find answers there. And he went to his imam and his imam said, no, I don't have answers for you. And in fact, you're not even supposed to ask those questions. And he began to compare the Quran and the Bible and compare Muhammad and Jesus. And he became a follower of Christ. He said, I'm going to commit my life. I'm going to follow Jesus. 
Uh, obviously, his Islamic society friends at school were not happy about this at all. Uh, in fact, early on, they beat him. Uh, at one point, they came to his mother's house to kill him. Uh, thankfully, he escaped, uh, ultimately would go away, would go to Bible school. He married a lady from Nigeria named Helen. Uh, they went as missionaries to Niger, so another country clear across the continent of Africa. Uh, but he really felt the call of God back to his own people, the Somali people. Uh, and so they moved back to northern Kenya, even knowing there was danger. Uh, again, they were threatened. Again, uh, a group came to their house with cans of gas to burn down the house. Uh, thankfully, a government official intervened. They were saved. Uh, but 10 years ago, in 2013, uh, on the streets of Garissa, one of the major cities in northern Kenya, uh, Abdiwali Ahmed was shot and killed by three assassins. Uh, finally, the threats caught up to him. Uh, and yet, uh, his wife continues on. In fact, part of her ministry today is among Somali people. So his legacy lives on. His wife continues on. And everywhere you go, and I talked with our North Africa person at Voice of the Martyrs. He said, I've been with Somali Christians in the Horn of Africa. I've been with Somali Christians in South Africa. I've been with Somali Christians in Europe. I've been with Somali Christians in Minneapolis. And everywhere I have heard the story of Abdiwali. They all know this story. They all know of his faithfulness. So his inspiration, his legacy continues to live on among Somali Christians around the world. Talk with us about um, acknowledging this day of the Christian martyr. Why uh, Why June 29th, and, and how can people engage with this? Well, June 29th is, uh, according to church history, that's the day the Apostle Paul was executed outside the city of Rome. So that's the significance of June 29th. Now, uh, if you're doing this in a group with a, a church family, uh, June 29th this year wasn't a Sunday. So maybe it's this Sunday. Uh, maybe I know some churches used the resources last Sunday. We do a series of resources every year for Day of the Christian Martyr. Uh, and simply the idea is to tell the story of somebody who gave their life for Christ. Uh, in the fall, we have International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. We think about Christians who are being persecuted right now. This is a little different. This is a chance to kind of look backwards and, and see see some of the heroes of our faith, like Abdiwali, who gave their life for the cause of Christ, and and hopefully not just think, wow, you know, Abdiwali, he was really a good, faithful Christian. Man, that's great for him. But we also think, wow, this person sacrificed their life to mm. see their own people won for Christ. Mm. What would I sacrifice to see my neighbors reach for Christ? What would I sacrifice to see God move in my city? Um, that's really what we hope grows out of this, is that sense of inspiration that, hey, I can make sacrifices. And the likelihood is, for me as an American, probably nobody's going to shoot me for being a Christian or telling them about Jesus. Uh, I might have an awkward conversation. I might get laughed at, uh, but I'm probably not going to get shot. And so hopefully that inspiration is, man— I could make I could risk an awkward conversation to hand a gospel of John to one of my coworkers to to share Jesus with my neighbors. I, I could probably risk that awkward conversation. I think that um, we'd have to challenge one another though with the even if. I mean, even if it did mean that I was going to lose my life. Like, do I value my life and my comfort and my reputation and my things more than I value other people not going to hell? Like, I, I, I do think at some point, I mean, although I did assure my mom on one occasion, like, mom, it, it's going to be okay. We don't still, we don't, we don't actually burn people at the stake. 
Um, I mean, like, even if, like, I, I think at some point in time, we got to have the even if conversation because around the world, it is costing people their lives to share the gospel. And, um, and I want to, um, I, I, I mean, at one level, I want to be like that. And then at another level, I just confess that just, that just scares the hell out of me. It's, you're exactly right. It is a conversation that we need to have in the American church is that, hey, you know, telling someone about Jesus is worth whatever risk might be involved with that. It, it was worth Abdiwali's life. Certainly it's worth whatever risk I would take. And and maybe it will come the day when American Christians are facing getting beaten up for their faith, when when maybe you, there are Christians losing. I think we've already seen people who stand on biblical truth lost mm-hmm. their jobs because of it. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we need to kind of prepare ourselves. And, and I agree with you. This is a conversation that uh, certainly with our children and our grandchildren, we need to be, ha- hey, telling someone about Jesus is worth it. You're, you rescuing someone from hell, that's worth taking a risk. So tell us about Susanna Coe, um, because I think that we become um, inspired to uh, to live like you're talking about living by hearing stories about people who are living like this. A- absolutely. Susanna Coe and her husband, Raymond Coe, Pastor Raymond Coe, were active in ministry in Malaysia. Uh, they were involved in a helps ministry, helping uh, the poor, helping AIDS patients, working among the people of Malaysia. And when asked, they would say, well, why are you doing this? Well, I'm, I'm doing this because Jesus loves you. Uh, and so it was an opportunity for ministry for them. 2017, Pastor Raymond Coe was abducted off the streets of Malaysia. A security camera mm-hmm. captured his abduction. It involved at least five vehicles, at least 13 men, and it took less than 40 seconds. Uh, so so it was a very professional operation. They dragged him out of his car, put him in an SUV, drove away. He's never been seen since. His car has never been found. Uh, if they hadn't had this security camera footage, it would literally be like Pastor Raymond Co. fell off the face of the earth. Uh, we are now six years later, and still no one's seen him. No one's heard from him. No one knows what happened to him. Susanna Coe, his wife, is actually suing the Malaysian government. There, there was a human rights commission in Malaysia that was examining some of these forced disappearances. They blamed the security police, basically sort of a combination of their FBI and CIA. They blamed the Malaysian security police, but nobody was ever held accountable. No one was, you know, like lost their job or got fired or got punished. And so Susanna went to a lawyer and said, I want to sue the Malaysian government. And she told me, she said, the lawyer said to her, now, are you sure about that? I mean, this is the government that made your husband disappear. Are you sure you want to poke the bear and and make a big spectacle and embarrass them? Because they might punish you too. She said, yes, I want to sue them. I want to know the truth. And so we've had the first three days of court hearings. This, This is going to be a long process. They actually have hearings scheduled into June of 2024, so at least a year But the first three days of court hearings have happened this month, and uh, it's interesting. The very first witness was an eyewitness that came up behind Pastor Raymond in the the car. He saw the whole abduction, saw the whole thing, and significantly went to the police station that afternoon and said, I just saw a guy get kidnapped. You know, I want to file a report. Mm. I saw someone get kidnapped. And the policeman that he talked to, he testified in court, the policeman that he talked to said, huh, the way you describe this and the fact that it happened in broad daylight, that sounds like a police operation, which very interesting that. 
But then later that evening, Susanna, Raymond hasn't come home. He didn't get to the meeting that he was supposed to get to that morning. She goes to the police and says, hey, I want to report. My husband seems to be missing. You know, we, we can't find him. He's not answering his phone. He didn't go to these places he was supposed to go. Instead of saying, well, wow, that's interesting. We just had an eyewitness come in that said he saw an abduction this afternoon. The police turned that into a four-hour uh, <laughs> questioning of Susanna. Hey, tell us about your ministry. Are you witnessing to Muslims? Are you proselytizing the gospel here? That for four hours, she was questioned repeatedly. And finally, she just got up and left. She said, listen, if, if you're not going to look for my husband, I'm going to have to go look for him. So I'm out of here. I'm going to go do that. So from day one, the police have stonewalled. They have obfuscated. They have turned this into an opportunity to accuse Susanna and Raymond of doing Christian work. They haven't been interested in finding him, uh, and hopefully, she is hopeful this lawsuit will produce some answers. Um, she said, I had her on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. She said, every morning I wake up and wonder, what happened to my husband? Is he alive? Is he dead? Is he sick? Is he well? Are they feeding him? Are they torturing him? What is happening with my husband? She is hopeful that this lawsuit will give her some answers. For those of you listening, um, you might be wondering, Islam is the state religion of Malaysia. Malaysia is 66% Muslim, less than 10% Christian. And in parts of Malaysia, it's a criminal offense to proselytize, to uh, to share the gospel of Jesus. Um, it is contrary to Sharia law, and so it is banned um, in, in many parts of the country. Um, and so we, we recognize the danger that Christians live in, in Malaysia, and we want to lift up um, this particular case of Susanna Coe and her husband, Pastor Raymond Coe. Um, we're going to continue our conversation with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs in just a moment. I think I want to ask you this as we go to the break. Do you have heartburn? Do you have heartburn? For what does your heart burn? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Todd Nettleton uh, from Voice of the Martyrs, for what does your heart burn? Like, right, I mean, it's one thing to like have heartburn and, you know, take an antiacid. Um, it's another thing for your heart to burn like it did... Uh, for those on the road to Emmaus, after Jesus opened the word of God to them and their eyes were opened and they're like, didn't our hearts burn within us? Does your heart burn? Todd, tell us about the Hearts of Fire virtual event that's coming up on July 14th. Well, before the break, we talked about Susanna Coe. She is actually going to be one of our speakers. So the Hearts of Fire virtual event, actually two weeks from today, two weeks from this evening. Uh, you can log in anywhere you have an internet connection, and we want you to be a part of this event. We're going to hear from four ladies, including Susanna Coe, four ladies 
who have dealt with persecution firsthand. So we will hear the stories of uh, Helen Berhane, who was in prison in Eritrea, Gracia Burnham, who was kidnapped in the Philippines, Anita Smith, whose husband was killed in Libya, as well as Susanna Coe. There will also be worship music led by Michael W. Smith. This is a great event to watch with other Christians, whether it be your whole church congregations, Right now, we have over a 1,000 churches signed up to host this event, whether it be your Bible study group, your Sunday school class, or even just your family. This is a great event to watch together and be inspired together. As you mentioned, we talked about earlier, you know, the the cost of being a disciple, the cost of sharing our faith with other people. These four ladies have paid a high cost, and yet all four of them would say it was worth it. It is worth it. Um, So it's just going to be a great event. We are so looking forward to it, and uh, we're we're counting on people being inspired by the Lord uh, through the testimonies of these four ladies. All right, you can go to heartsevent.com, heartsevent.com, um, or you can go directly to uh, Voice of the Martyrs, persecution.com. That's it's linked right there as well. Um, and you can you can register as an individual. You can also um, have your church. Uh, you can host this at your church, or you could host this for a group of people. Um, and if you do that, then you're going to get some um, additional materials uh, to assist you. Um, there's only a couple of weeks before this event, so just really encourage you to to just jump on there and do this today. Heartsevent.com. Uh, it's two weeks from tonight. What a what a great opportunity to gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and. Um, and hear the testimonies of these remarkable um, sisters. So thank you, Todd, for that wonderful opportunity. Maybe we could um, do uh, uh, do a little window into what's happening in India. Well, last week, Prime Minister Modi was in Washington, D.C. They had a big state dinner. He got to address a joint session of Congress, uh, sort of rolled out the red carpet for him. There was talk that uh, behind the scenes they were going to address the issue of religious freedom because uh, religious freedom under Prime Minister Modi has gone downhill dramatically in India. Uh, and in fact, just this month, there was a a nun, a Christian nun, who was having a, a party with her family before she left to go into her service and radical Hindus came in and raided the party. They accused them of having a prayer service and called the police. So, you know, Radical Hindus break into the house of these Christians where they're having a celebration. They call the police, and instead of arresting the radical Hindus who just broke in, they arrested five of the Christians who were there wishing this nun well as she left for her service. That is one example among hundreds that are happening in India every single week. It is churches being raided. It is pastors being arrested. It is anti-conversion laws being passed. And so I hope those conversations in Washington, D.C., behind closed doors, that that we're promised that they happen. I hope they did happen. I hope they were firm because this is a prime minister. This is a Hindu nationalist government in India that is persecuting our brothers and sisters. So I know this isn't on our uh, on our hit list, but um, I feel confident you're prepared to answer a question that a person who has put himself forward to be a, a candidate uh, to serve as the next president of the United States. He's currently the mayor of Miami, and he was asking a radio interview, um, you know, to respond to the plight of the Uyghurs. And he replied by saying, what's a Uyghur? So Todd Nettleton, what's a Uyghur? 
the Uyghurs are a ethnic group in Western China. They are predominantly Muslim, uh, and they are horribly persecuted by the Chinese government. In fact, there are something over a million Uyghurs uh, currently in what the Chinese call re-education camps, uh, but are really prison camps. And there are horrible stories of uh, sexual assault, sexual abuse, uh, people being abused, there are, let, let me share from our perspective, there are Uyghur Christians. In fact, we had a story in our free magazine not too long ago about a Uyghur husband and wife who were sent to one of those camps. They were Christians. They weren't Muslims. They certainly weren't terrorists, uh, but they ended up in one of those camps. And so it is a it is a horrible blight on the world that we have a million Uyghurs in prison camps uh, and and someone in, in a position of authority or wanting to be in a position of authority would say, what's a Uyghur? It's an opportunity, though. I think every conversation happening in the culture is an opportunity for Christians. So thank you so much for um, equipping us so well, Todd, for giving us uh, a window into and stories about what's happening with our brothers and sisters around the world. Again, I really genuinely encourage you to uh, to read in and visit FrequentlyPersecution.com and sign up for the Hearts uh, the Hearts of Fire virtual event coming up on July 14th. You can do that at HeartsEvent.com. Todd, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. This is Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Have you ever wanted to go somewhere that no one has gone before? I mean, are you one of those like, I want to boldly go where no man has gone before? Well, the, uh, that's the heart of exploration. That's the heart of discovery. It's, the, it was, it's what you know, drove people to sail to the horizon and see what was beyond it or dive to the depths uh, of, of the ocean or fly to the stars. Like That's, that's what drives us uh, to go where no man has gone before. It's this heart of exploration and discovery to see all that God has made and what God is doing and figure it out. It's the drive to split the atom and explore the universe from the very smallest to the very biggest um, of its limits. So uh, people are on the move to go where, you know, we haven't gone before. We're trying to take a step this weekend as a global community, actually through the U European Space Agency, to launch the Euclid Space Telescope. It happens tomorrow, and they're they're attempting to probe the dark energy, the dark matter. 95% of the universe it remains poorly understood. So I just want you to consider that God's light shines even in that darkness. We don't understand that. But um, if you've got questions, God's got answers. We're going to continue talking about him next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.